There is a blessing found in the unconcerned wife, and I want to talk about it in this podcast. Hello, I'm Rick Thomas. Thank you for joining me for Your Daily Drive, the podcast where we put our article content in audio format so you can listen on the run. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for interacting with our ministry. Don't forget, we have two books in print that you want. These are excellent books, and we have received wonderful feedback from folks that are that have read them and those who are reading them. We've had a couple of people comment in process that they've enjoyed the book so much that they wanted to say something before they had finished them, and that's fine. The two books are Change Me and Suffering Well. Change Me is the book from our ministry that will walk you through the transformation process. You want to change, you are helping someone transform, then you want to get Change Me. 34 chapters, nearly 300 pages, and it will benefit anybody. It would be a great small book tool. It's something that you do want to put in your library at church. Uh, you want to share it with those that you love, especially those who are looking for practical training on how to become a better person. It's titled Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook. You can get it on Amazon and they will ship it to your door. And while you are there, get suffering well. It's an oxymoron. We want to suffer well. In Job 3.25, Job said, The thing that I have feared has come upon me. Therefore, I subtitled this thing, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. For those of you who have gone through challenging times, you know you've come out on the other end and you reflect back and you see the lessons that you have learned through the difficulty, and that's what we want to do. We want to steward our trouble well. And so I titled it, or the subtitle, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. Having a sound, robust theology of suffering is not common among Christians and is non-existent among those in the world, well, we want to do better. We want to learn. Sometimes God permits us to be in awful situations, and I'm sure you've had your own boatload of trouble, big boat, little boat, not sure, but you've had trouble, and we want to learn how to steward it well. Suffering Well is the book for you. It is autobiographical, as I share with you, the most traumatic time of my life, which was about a decade long. I would say that this ministry was birthed from those days. If you like our ministry at all, what you like was born in the crucible of suffering. And so I decided 30 years after the fact that I would write a book. I, I thought about this a few years ago and began the long process of writing. It took about three years to get it done, but it is out, and I want you to have this book. So get both of them. Change Me, The Ultimate Life Change Handbook, and Suffering Well, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing on Amazon. And then I want you to tell others. And then the third thing is I want you to write a review on Amazon because 
And that will trigger Amazon. Hey, this is something that we want to broaden our reach. We want to send it out to more people. And so write a review and that will help us. You can partner with us that way by writing a review. Let's talk about the unconcerned wife. Let me ask you a few questions. We'll get into a little diagnosis here and then launch into a case study. And guess who's here today? They are in all their glory and all of their problems, Biff and Mabel. But let, let me uh, run through these questions for you. Husband, these are for you. By the way, uh, wife, you'll have some at the end, so hang on. Husband, does your wife show concern about what you do? Does she check up on you? Is she mostly aware or unaware of your thoughts and activities? Which of the following three categories best describe your wife's attention to the details of your life? Think about the details of your life and how your wife thinks about them. I want to put them in three categories, negative, neutral, and positive. Are your wife's thoughts about the details of your life negative, neutral, or positive? Here's what I mean about each one of those descriptors. Negative. She has to know what you are doing, and it's quick to show her displeasure with you. She wants to know the details, and she's negative, critical. Number two, she's neutral. She shows little concern about what you do, whether you're doing good or whether you're doing bad. And then positive. She is aware of what you do, just like the negative. She knows what you're doing, good and bad. She knows the up and down of your life, and she regularly encourages you. Wife, you can think about this yourself, but I won't. These were for the husband. Now, perhaps you can find better descriptions for your marriage than what I've given you here, but the idea that I want to show by the three categories of negative, neutral, and positive is about your wife's input into your life, into your daily affairs. Is your wife's responses to you negative, neutral, or positive when you come home and begin to share your day or during the weekend? She observes you doing whatever it is that you're doing. What is her characterization, her general response to you? I want to give you a case study with my friends, Biff and Mabel. I'm going to unpack the problem that led to Biff's adultery, which you will see is much broader than a negative or nagging spouse. Yes, he has a nag nagging spouse, but... We can't put this in Mabel's lap the way he may want to put it there. Biff married Mabel 13 years ago. Most of those years were difficult. Mabel struggles with insecurity, which has played out in their marriage by her keeping tabs on Biff. How does he respond? Biff calls her a nag. She has been hyper-attentive in their marriage. She regularly asks Biff where he has been and what he has been doing. This more rooted insecurity is born out of something that Biff did not cause. This is not Biff's problem. This is who Mabel is. It predates him. And I think it's important for us to understand that 
I would say most of the problems that we have in our marriage, not the symptoms, the behavior, not the in-the-moment actions that we cause, but the, the things that are underlying those behaviors, they are pre-existing. Mabel did not become insecure when she married Biff. She was insecure long before she met him. But Biff didn't understand this. He was not a good husband. He saw her question, question asking and her accusations as a burden, which in a way they were a burden. I imagine if someone was accusing me right and left, probably you too, that would be a burden. Let's be realistic here. But rather than finding her questions as an opportunity to shepherd her, he responded by drifting farther away from her, which put their marriage in an unresolvable circular trap that went like this. One, the more he drifted away from her, the more concerned she became, as you would imagine. Two, the more concerned she became, the more she nagged, of course. And the more she nagged, the more he drifted from her, and there is the unresolvable circular trap. Eventually, Biff committed adultery, and Mabel's fears came to pass. The thing she dreaded, losing Biff, which motivated her to drill him about his day, happened. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, for those of you who may be tempted to send me a nasty email saying, Are you saying it's Mabel's fault because Biff committed adultery? No, I did not say that. Listen well. Do not map your experience over what you are hearing. Listen with maturity and wisdom. I did not say that. But there is an entanglement here without question. Now, some of the questions that we do need to ask, How did they arrive at this place in their marriage? What could they have done differently? What was missing in their understanding of themselves and their marriage? How could they have built their covenant on a better foundation? I want to address this, and I'm going to do this by asking a couple questions. One, what men want? Number two, what women want? And then we'll go from there. What men want? To answer these questions, you have to go back to God's original design of the human race and how the effects of sin altered this original intent. We begin with the first man. His name is Adam. The Lord made Adam for himself. There you are, in the beginning, God. And he makes a man from the dust of the ground in Genesis 2-7. His name is Adam, and it's just the Lord and Adam. He created Adam in their image, and he gave Adam things to do. Adam was a worker, and he did stuff. It was a perfect world from Adam's perspective. He basked in the glory of the Lord and spent his time doing things for the Lord. That's a key statement that I want to highlight, basking in the glory of the Lord, enjoying God, and he spent time doing things for God. Being a man, made in God's image, and doing things are two of the most essential understandings of what makes a man fulfilled. The Lord ties our identity, man made in the image of God, to what we do. 
doing stuff. This truth is why one of the first questions a man will ask another man is, hey, what do you do? This type of conversation is so familiar that we hardly give it thought. God made us for doing things, which makes the stuff we do matter I have counseled many men who did not have jobs or their wives made more money than they did. By the way, I've been in both of those, both of those boats. There have been times where I've been unemployed, and there, there was in the early part of our marriage, Lucia made more money than I did. And as I've interacted with other men, in almost every case, this was a problem to varying degrees, and it really depends on the man and how mature he is, but it is a problem in almost every case for the man. For many men, it can be emasculating not to be able to provide for their families. God put that in the man. To want to work well and to be successful at work, it's not wrong. It doesn't have to be wrong. Oh, yeah, you can put a drop of sin in that equation and it can go wrong quickly. But it doesn't have to be wrong. It is one way we men can glorify God. Now, of course, that's Genesis 2, and that's where it's not wrong. But we can quickly cross the line, as we tend to do as men, in Genesis 2, we're serving God in our work for His glory. In Genesis 3, we cross the line, sin comes in, and work can become an idol, and we glory in ourselves. But in the beginning, it was not so. It's not wrong to want to work hard and receive rewards for the work accomplished. Adam was a man who worked unto the Lord while living in the Lord's unending pleasure. Imagine that, if you could put your mind into such a state to where you could think about, the best you can, what it was like for Adam with no sin. And you are living in the unending pleasure of God, and you're working hard for His glory, and it's all good. That's what men want. Made in His image, working for God's glory. What women want. Well, the Lord surveyed the scene of Adam's life and decided that he needed to do more than work with his hands. He needed someone to compliment him. There were only the beast of the field, and Adam had love to give because he was made in the image of God, and God is love. But there was no one that could come alongside him that was like him. Thus, God made Eve a suitable helper for her man. In the King James Bible, it says help meet, and unfortunately, we have, not knowing what that those two words mean, we have connected them together, and we, we say help meet, and we miss the meaning of Genesis 2.18. It's not help meet as one word. Those are two standalone, independent, distinct words. Helper, suitable, complementer. Eve was a helper who was suitable for Adam. Eve was made differently from Adam. She came from his side, not from the dirt. She looked different and was expected to serve in a different capacity. Now that flies in the face of our culture today, and it is maddening at what our culture is trying to do to Genesis chapter 2 as it pertains to the man and the woman. They are distinct individuals. One came from dirt. He's a dirt clod. Uh, 
and the other came from his side. She's a rib. She looked different, and she was expected to be different, to serve differently. The Lord did not make Eve for himself. Now, that's important. He created Eve for Adam. It's not good for the man to be alone. Therefore, I'm going to make a suitable helper, a help meet for him. When a man receives a gift from the Lord, Eve was a gift from God. He is expected to care for this gift. This is at the heart of Ephesians 5.29, to nourish and cherish her. It was no longer correct for Adam to think his only job was in the field, hanging with the herds. Eve was now part of his growing responsibilities. He was called to lead her by providing and caring for her. It's what Peter was talking about in 3.7. He said, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Part of how a husband cares for his wife is to understand her. Peter's language is reflective and intentional. There is a delicateness to the woman which is strikingly different from the man. Yes, there is. Now, I know I've met some women who could beat me up, and I get that. They could kick my bony little rear end all over the place, and I understand. But generally speaking, they're delicate. And part of the reason for this is because of what the woman is called to do. She is asked to follow her husband, to submit to him, and to serve him all the days of their lives. Now, here's something to think about. If you had to follow, submit, and serve someone all the days of your lives together, what would be two paramount concerns that you would want resolved before you went on a journey with that person? What kind of assurances would you ask him? Well, there are two things. I've been counseling for a long time, and I've seen these two recurring themes happen over and over again. If I had to follow, submit, serve someone all the days of our lives together, here are my two big questions that I would be asking. Hey, will you love me? Number two, will you protect me? People do not join forces with other people if they are hated, going to be hated, and going to be unsafe. This idea is just as much common sense as it is practical. Put yourself in Eve's shoes for a moment. Let's assume that Eve had shoes. If she had to hook her wagon to Adam, what would she be thinking? If I have to submit to a man all the days of my life, he had better love me well, and he better take care of me. These two things are a big deal for a wife. I'm talking about under the category here, what women want, and there are two primary things. Will you love me, and is it going to be safe to hang with you? And these two things should be a big deal. The Lord is asking her to submit to Adam. Adam needs to be submittable material. What men want? Made in the image of God, working hard. What women want, I got to submit. Will you love? 
Will you protect? Let's go back to Biff. What Biff did not perceive was how important this was to Mabel, these ideas of love and protective care. He did not consider how God made her. He also did not think about how the effects of sin had captivated her thinking, her predated thinking, predating him, her insecurity and her fears. And so he didn't realize what Mabel needed and what he was to provide for her, and he didn't realize the unique fallenness of Mabel. As I say, that we are totally depraved and uniquely fallen. Mabel has a unique fallen quality about her, and Biff didn't think it through. All women have a few anxious thoughts when it comes to marrying a man. I mean, (laughs) that's normal. It's even acuter if they are coming from a Christian worldview because they have an awareness of the high call of marriage and the challenges of submission. If you are a Christian woman, you should be anxious when you think about marrying a man because there is no ending to this except for death, and your call is to submit to him for God's glory and for God's fame. And Christian women want to do marriage well. And that's why they need assurances from their soon-to-be husbands, which is why I ask, will you love me? And will this relationship be safe? Such common sense and no common sense thinking woman would carelessly go into a potentially unloving and unsafe relationship. She wants to be led well by the person she is committing to and submitting to for the rest of her life. Now, in the case of her fictional couple, Biff was not a good shepherd. He did not come alongside his wife well. He was mostly quiet and passive in the relationship. From his point of view, he snagged her on his wedding day, which released him to spend his time pursuing other things. Biff is a fool. What he did not perceive was how the seed of insecurity that lay dormant in Mabel's heart, remember, predating, pre-existing, as time went by, this seed began to metastasize as she wondered about her husband's love and protective care. You see how it's connecting now. Silence is mysterious. Biff was passive, lazy, non-communicative. And where silence exists, typically someone will supply the interpretation for the silence. Biff was, a, was not a biblical communicator or a biblical leader in the marriage, and this left mystery shrouded over Mabel's mind. She was already prone to insecurity, So her interpretations of his silence and his passivity were not reasonable. They would not be reasonable because of how she is and how he is have now come together in her mind. Well, Biff left the relationship because his wife was angry, bitter, and a complaining woman. He felt justified. Mabel filed for a divorce because Biff was a weak leader who committed adultery. She felt justified. Now, there's a little truth in both of those statements, maybe more one than the other. But okay, if, if, if divvying up truth claims is all that we're after here, well, then there you have it. But this is a little more intricate than that. 
Neither one of them understood a biblical view of their roles within the marriage covenant. They both felt justified for what they did while they both contributed to the demise of their marriage. And I'm not going to get into who did more in this situation. That's not the point. Adultery was not the main issue. It was a symptom of a deeper problem. Mabel's nagging was not the main issue either. It was also a symptom. If you peeled the problems back to its core, you would find their ignorance of God's design for the man and the woman to be the main contributing issue. You will find a blessing in the unconcerned wife. That's the title of the podcast and the article on our website. There is a blessing found in the unconcerned wife, and you will find a blessing there. Imagine with me for just a moment of the well-led wife. She lives in the radiance of her husband's love. She is wonderfully aware of his protective care. Will you love me? Will you protect me? She lives in it. She's aware of it. It is like the delicate vase Peter wrote about. The vessel has been lovingly packaged, bundled, and safely nestled in a container for safe travel. No harm can come to it. If it could speak, it would say, quote, I am safe and I am loved by the one who is called to take care of me. That's an echo of Psalm 23.1. You remember what David said? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that's the idea that Adam is want, needs to emulate. For his wife, the unconcerned wife is like a sheep who takes one look at its shepherd and exclaims how it has no needs because of the expert care of the shepherd. The unconcerned wife is a confident wife. She does not live under the suspicion of her husband's behavior. She does not have to worry about the next awful news. She's well-nourished and well-cherished by her husband. Just as the father treated Adam, the good husband, exports a similar kind of careful and protective love to his wife. She does not fear evil because of his constant and caring vigilance. Now, I want to close this podcast by giving you two cautions, one for the husband and one for the wife. Husband, nobody marries a perfectly sanctified woman, and we have our issues too. Because of what happened in Genesis 3, there is a brokenness in our lives. Human fallenness has damaged all of us. When we marry, there is work to do. We should not go into marriage naively. We should enter the marriage covenant fully aware there is sanctification that must happen in our lives. And it is the job of the men to lead in this endeavor. This opportunity is ours as we model the gospel to our wives. We love them in a similar redemptive way that our Lord loves us. The marriage altar is not a finish line, but a starting line. Husband, there's your caution. Wives, here's yours. If your husband is nailing it, I mean getting it right, let him know that he's nailing it. We men like to hear encouraging words when we get it right. If you are resting well in the protective care of your husband, regularly let him know he is doing a good job. I imagine you are. Honoring others for the things they do is a good thing. 
It's right out of Paul's playbook in Romans 12.10. Honor one another. In fact, outdo one another in showing honor. While nagging can be discouraging, so can your silence. Don't withhold your encouragement. If you have identified God's good work in your husband's life, let him know where he gets it right. If your husband is a weak leader, the antidote may be to find the things he's doing right and express gratitude for those things. Grace-filled words communicated well can be redemptive. At the beginning of this podcast, I asked the husband to answer three questions. Now I'm going to ask the wives to respond to the same ones. I'll give them to you. How would you answer the questions, and why did you answer the way that you did? If either one or both of you landed on one or two, meaning negative or neutral, you remember there were three, negative, neutral, positive. If either one of you landed on one or two, negative and neutral, my appeal is to find help. Do this before you both come to the place of Biff and Mabel. It is hard to help people repair a marriage after going that far down the road. Wife, here's your questions. Negative. She has to know what you are doing and is quick to show her displeasure with you. Neutral. She shows little concern about what you do, whether you're doing good or bad. Positive. She's aware of what you do, good and bad, and regularly encourages you. How did you do? The title of the podcast, There is a Blessing Found in the Unconcerned Wife. If you want to chat about this, come to our website. Let's talk. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.